they don't have the same ownership stake. And so for them, it's not as important. It's not as valuable. But if you can make them feel as if they do have an ownership stake, you make them feel as if they are a part of the organization, then that's going to go a long way to helping the success of the organization. Hey, Bill, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Most certainly. Well, Bill, I know you are a marketer at heart. I've seen some of the marketing hacks you've been doing. That's how you and I got to know each other, renting a yacht in Chicago, inviting business leaders to come and network. And uh, you even invited other real estate guys to join you and, and have those kind of community events. So that's how I got to know you and know you as, a, as an entrepreneur and a business leader running a real estate business. But I, we see you in your peak of your success and seeing all these things that you're doing. I'm pretty sure you have some sort of an amazing story of how you got into the entrepreneurial journey. Can you share with our audience a little bit about your journey of becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, sure. I like to say it was just really a series of horrible mistakes that I made that led me to here. But it actually, it started when I was really young and watching my father because he was an entrepreneur and just some of the values that I learned from both him and my mother about treating everybody with respect, never burning a bridge, being responsive, doing what you say you're going to do. Just a lot of the little things that I think regardless of what business line you're getting into are going to help you be more successful just by treating people right and showing respect to others. Yeah, I mean, I think that's crazy. Those are simple, basic life principles that anybody should follow, whether you're an entrepreneur, or an employee, or whatever function you play in an organization. Those are simple things. And if you do, employers will love you and your customers will love you if, you have, if you're such a non-business person. No, right? you're spot on. And I always had a really tough time in terms of getting into the entrepreneurial arena. I really had a tough time just following orders, right? Whether, cause whether maybe I didn't agree completely or I wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid. I remember one of the early companies I worked at, everybody just thought that was the greatest place on earth. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't see that. I'm seeing something totally different, but I was learning from those companies, not only what to do, but also a lot of what not to do. And so mm -hmm. I always knew that I wanted to go off and start my own company because I'm fine being judged on both my successes and failures. I'm happy to say, look, this was my decision and it didn't work out. That's on me. Mm -hmm. But I also saw at these big companies, if I did something well, or I did a good job, there were so many other people taking credit for that. And you know what a good leader is supposed to do, right? They're supposed to give out the credit and take the blame. And it was the exact opposite at these mm -hmm. firms. So really for me, it was more about learning a craft, learning the trade of being a good commercial real estate broker before I could go off and do it on my own terms and the way that I wanted to do it. And I was very willing to accept the results and take responsibility for the things I did well, as well as taking responsibility for the things that I didn't do well or made mistakes on. I think that's another great principle I think most people don't even understand, right? Like I think if only our politicians really took responsibility for the things that <laughs> they caused, don't get me right? things would be a lot different. My, my father used to talk to me about how it's okay to make mistakes, but one, you got to learn from them and not make the same mistake twice. But two, 
don't make a, a mistake big enough that you can't recover from. And so mm-hmm. I, I've always had that in my mind of, look, it's fine to make a mistake, but don't make that same one again. Learn from it, get smarter, get better, and move on. Yeah, and I think, like you said, right, giving credit when someone else succeed and not take the not take the credit for it, or blame shifting when something went wrong and then not taking responsibility for it, which is very hard to do as an entrepreneur, right? Like you you want to live in the moment and enjoy the success and your hard work, <laughs> the benefit of your hard work. But I think those are all really good principles to to live by. So talk well, to us a little bit about the strength. Your team members, yeah. right? You want the, that's one of the most important parts about running a business is, is your team. And you, you, to be successful, you got to have A players. But mm-hmm. to have your A players stay with you, I think it's really important to share the successes and take ownership of the failures because you don't want to put it on these people's heads. They're, they don't have the same ownership stake. And so for them, it's not as important. It's not as valuable. But if you can make them feel mm-hmm as if they do have an ownership stake, you make them feel as if they are a part of the organization, then that's going to go a long way to helping the success of the organization. Most certainly. So can you share a little bit of the struggles that you went through as you built your company? And obviously, like you have a very successful real estate firm in Chicagoland area, pretty reputable brand, has a lot of big brands that you place across the country as, as, as far as a tenant. So can you share a little bit about the struggles that you faced and how you were able to overcome some of those? Yeah, boy, uh, how much time do we have to talk about uh, my struggles? I mean, going into starting my own company, and we know the statistics, I mean, a tremendous amount of businesses fail. I went into it with the attitude of failure is not an option. And what that translated to me was I was going to spend as much time as I needed and I was going to work as hard as I possibly could. My dad always said, you may not be the smartest person in the room, but you can always outwork everyone in the room. So thankfully, when I started this business in July of 2008, the world's kind of crumbling around us. We've got the mortgage crisis, financial crisis. We got all sorts of problems going on. And I saw opportunity. And I saw this as a great chance to bring my value system to my clients and customers, as opposed to the values of the companies that I work for. And so thankfully at the time, I did not have any children. And that's something we might be talking about a little later is about how to balance work and life and family life. But my wife was incredibly supportive and she believed in me and she gave me the leeway and the freedom to work as hard as I needed to work. And really, I think that was the biggest struggle is just, there was never enough time in the day. I remember early on when I'd go out to hang out with my friends, go to dinner or whatever it was with friends of mine, they would say, Bill, what, you don't have any work to do? You don't, there's nothing to do. I said, no, there's, there'll never be a time when there's nothing to do. There's always more to do than there are hours in the day. I am choosing to set it down, to stop, and come spend time with you. But I think some of the struggles at the beginning, the biggest struggle is really building credibility and trying to build that brand into something that's recognizable and respected and that a client can feel comfortable in saying, we're going to hire you. Because you know the old saying, no one ever got fired for hiring IBM. 
-hmm. In my industry, it's no one ever got fired for hiring C.B. Richard Ellis or Jones Lang with Sal. So that was always the question that prospects, why would I hire you instead of them? You know, and I said, look, we are building this business to represent the small and medium-sized user. CB and Jones Lang were built to represent IBM, Microsoft, Google, and that's great. That's how those firms were constructed. That's what they're meant to do. They are not meant to do one-off transactions with companies that have 50 to 500 or 1,000 employees. That's exactly what we set out to do. So the beginning, Sam, it was really about fighting that credibility issue. I'll tell you one mistake I made early on. When I started the business, I was working out of my home. And back then, that was not a cool thing to do. That was not acceptable. And people would look at my business card and they'd go, 924 West Fullerton, is that, is that your home? And mm -hmm. I'd say yes. And I could see it in their eyes. It was over. Mm -hmm. I did not have credibility because I worked out of my home. And so I immediately got an office downtown. They look, oh, 203 North or South. Okay. That was no longer an objection. Mm -hmm. So it was just about over time, finding all the various objections that I received, which believe me was plentiful. Mm -hmm. I'm still getting objections today, but it's about finding those objections and overcoming them. And so certainly early on, it's about grinding, working really hard. I mean, I love how you made a comment before our conversation about my social media post of the boat outing that I hosted. So everyone thinks, oh, you're a business owner. You're so wealthy. You're cruising around on yachts all day. A, it's not like that. But B, there's a tremendous amount of hard work that I've put into this in the last 14 years which continues on today, my hard work today just looks different than it did 14 years ago. Now it's about gathering a boat, literally a boatload of, of business owners together to sh show them a good time, to talk business, just to shoot the breeze about what's working in your business, what's not working, and where I can serve as a resource to support the growth of their business. But that grind is for real. And, uh, you know, the, the hard work I'm putting in now is just different than the hard work I was putting in back then. If I can share one more story, I remember going to networking events and there was this gentleman, Maury Elstein, who I've nicknamed the godfather of networking. Everyone used to complain, oh, Maury, you get to spend your days meeting people, making connections for those people serving as a connector, being a, a relationship builder. That's what you get to do for your job. I'm an attorney and I have to bill hours or I'm an accountant and I've got to do accounting work. And I always thought to myself, you can always outsource the actual work. No one's the best, right? You can hire people to do very good work as long as you train them properly. But I said to myself, I want to be Maury. I want to be the one that outsource, outsources every aspect of my business other than the relationship building, the connecting, and serving as a true resource for my clients and contacts. So that was a big struggle, was finding quality people that could fill all the individual roles that, of course, at the beginning of my company, every role was mine. And guess what? I'm not good at all of them. I can tell you with 
pure honesty, I am not good at many things, but there are some things that I'm very good at that I enjoy. And so I worked very hard for many years to try and find people that were excellent, that were exceptional at the things I was not good at. And that's finally where I got to a point where I was removing myself from the day-to-day -day operations of the business and putting myself in a position to more guide strategy, to build relationships and to try and be that face of the brand, the face of the franchise that serves to bring in new opportunities to turn over to my team to do an amazing job on executing the way that, that I would like to see it done. Man, there's just so much information packed in there. So I think the first thing you mentioned was the credibility aspect of it. Because I think before you can go build a business, you have to build credibility. And the funny thing about credibility is it's hard to build and it's very easy to lose, right? It takes maybe sometimes years to build a credibility and it can only take one deal that can actually ruin your entire credibility and your career and your business with it. Right. That's an important lesson for most entrepreneurs. They're trying to make a quick dollar and oftentimes under, don't understand or underestimate what really the brand equity and what you described as the company's brand. Right. And Spot on. that's really super critical. And the other thing is the humility to recognize your weakness and your shortcomings and recognizing, hey, I'm not good at everything. I got to find eight players that can actually fill in my compliment me. Right. Where I'm where I lack in skills they can actually fill in for me. And then I do what I'm really good at, which like you uncover, right? You got to be the guy that do the networking, be the face of the brand, build a, the reputation, the credibility that you want in the marketplace and find the A players that can actually do the job better than you in some areas, right? And then, and serve your customers just the way you would want them to be served. So I think that's an un unbelievable lesson that I think most entrepreneurs probably take six to 14 years to learn sometimes. You're spot on. And I was going to, I was just going to say, a lot of entrepreneurs, not a lot, but there are some entrepreneurs that we've all met before that think they know everything. They know all aspects and they're great at everything. And that's more, hey, more power too. You got a very healthy ego. Good for you. you know, but as Carl Jung said, we spend the first half of our life trying to build up our egos and the second half of our life trying to dismantle it and live within it. And I, I think getting to a point where I recognize that yeah, I, I'm not going to be the best at all things. It was a really strong breakthrough. I think the biggest, the first one where I recognized that was hiring top talent. I was cycling through a very, at best, average people. And when I took a step back to evaluate why that was the case, the big glaring problem was me. I don't have mm. a knack for recognizing talent. But mm -hmm. when you find the right recruiter, a partner that specializes, that's their job is to find you great people. Since I hired a recruiter, Mark Myers firm, ICS, he's found me the greatest talent that I've ever had on my team before. And getting those, the right people in the right seats, it makes your business feel like it's a, a rocket just being shot be launched into orbit. You mm -hmm. find great people and it's liberating. You feel, wow, we are capable of so much more now that we have the right people in the right seats. And so that was the first time when I said, you know what? I should not be the one 
searching for and hiring the talent because that is not something I'm good at at all. <laughs> yeah, and I think we as entrepreneurs, we're optimistic. So we always see the best in people and believe the best. Sometimes you might just be reading too much into that person's skills and abilities and or maybe just see the personality type and you're like, oh, this is an outgoing person. It's going to make the best salesperson. But then you come to find out, although that was, I was totally wrong about that judgment call. Well, Sam, what's the saying? Hire slow, fire okay. fast. Uh -huh. I was the opposite. I'd meet someone and immediately, oh yeah, you're in. Let's do it. Let's get you on board. And then the reason why I think I kept them on longer than I should have was because of my own ego. I wanted to prove myself right that I made the correct hire mm -hmm. and that I could train them and mold them into the person I needed them to be. And as soon as I got out of my own way, that's when things really started to take off and go much better than they had previously. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about your personal why. What motivates you? What's your drive? That's a really good question. And there's several components of it. The first thing is about my family, making my parents proud. My, my parents, I was incredibly fortunate that my growing up, my parents set an amazing example. They worked really hard. They saved money. They lived below their means. They always supported my brother and I, no matter what we were doing. They always had our backs. They educated us. They loved us. They clothed us. They allowed us to travel. I mean, they, my parents did everything for my brother and I was incredibly fortunate. So one thing was I wanted to prove to them that all their effort was not in vain, right? I wanted to show them that everything they did for me mattered. It meant something. And I'm using that as fuel to move forward and be successful to make them proud. Number two, my wife. My wife, Diana, always believed in me. She always encouraged me. She never questioned when I was going to a networking event. She never said, oh, you're not home so much anymore. Or, you're working so hard. She supported me. And so I wanted to do it for her, to give her the life that I felt she deserved for all the support she had given me and all the faith she had shown in me. And then once I had children, holy moly, that really flips the script. And you're like, okay, this is bigger than me now. It's not about just making my parents proud and making my wife proud and being able to give her the things she needs. Now is I got two lives who are dependent on me and my wife, who, by the way, is my CFO and COO. She just celebrated her eight-year anniversary with me at the company a few days ago on Monday. But having those children, that really flips the script and it puts things into perspective about, I got to do this for them. I got to show them just what my parents showed me, how important it is to work hard how important it is to treat people with respect, all people with respect, how important it is to show a good moral compass, good values, call people back, even if it's to tell them, no, thank you. I don't need your product or service, but I'm going to call them and say, Hey, thanks for reaching out. I've got a really close person that's doing that. I don't need that. But really just trying to set an example mm -hmm. for my children that my parents set for me and being a, able to provide them the same opportunities, the same um, 
education, quality education, love, experiences, just to be able to provide them the same opportunities that, that my parents were able to provide for me. And then I would say that growing up, um, I was a bit of a, a wild child, right? I was not so much a rule follower. I was more of a, let's see how much I can bend the line. I'm going to go right up to the line and see how much I can bend that line before it breaks. I was always pushing boundaries. And, and I think because of that, there was a lot of people from my childhood that expected me not necessarily to grow up to be a criminal or anything like that, but certainly not to enjoy any sort of success. And I don't think any of those people in my childhood would say that they didn't expect much of me or they're surprised of what I'm doing now. But I just had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder that, hey, I wanted to prove these people wrong. Even though no one said, you're going to be a failure or you're not good enough or you can't do it. I, a lot of athletes will just, they look at those, uh, the naysayers, right? And they use that as motivation, as fodder. And I did that myself. Again, not that I had people trying to put me down or say I couldn't make it. But I think maybe the perception people had of me as a child, as a younger individual, was maybe a little different than who I really am inside and certainly who I've grown to become as an adult. So starting a business, that was just a huge motivator. Not Again, I say to prove people wrong, but no one was doubting me. No one was saying I couldn't do it. That was just maybe in my head, my belief that, boy, this would be really great to, to show that I can be a responsible adult. I can work hard. I can make something happen and create something. And so those were some of the things that really motivated me in the beginning and to this day to work hard, make the right choices, treat people fairly. And then one more thing that's, that kind of has served as a motivator for me, I recognize that as a white male in America, we have so many doors just spread wide open for us. Oh, a white male? Sure, here's the keys to the kingdom. You'll be fine. Where there's so many people that, you know, women and other minorities, those same doors are closed. And so I remember I was given a, a, a tea party chat to IC, a group of IC stars, young men and women, and they were asking me, what was my biggest fear? And that fear of failure is, gosh, as a white male, you're literally just given the keys to the kingdom. Everything is a lot easier for white males. And for me to understand and recognize that, boy, I don't have an excuse for failure. No one's closing their doors to me because of my race and being a male like that. It's so much harder for a female or a male, a, a minority. It's just, and it's unfortunate. It's sad, but I recognize that as the truth. And that was a motivator for me because what excuse did I have if I failed? Because as a white male, things are easier. And so I had to, I wanted to work especially hard to make sure that I wasn't a failure story. Mm. And I think it's also like what you described, right? You have the positive drivers and negative driver, and then, but you still taking ownership of 
your own life choices and decision to make sure that, hey, I have to work hard to not let my family and my friends and my loved ones down, but I also not going to let the negative view of other people impact the way that I live out my life, right? I'm, I have a choice to make and I'm not going to be a victim of someone else's perception of who I am, right? And I think that getting out of the victim mindset, whether you're, it doesn't, regardless of your color, of your skin, but I think it's still choices on you as a person to decide for yourself that I'm going to make something out of my life and I'm going to work really hard to make sure I do it, right? I think well, on your, what exactly you're talking about is such a huge impact for me. It's about, in my mind, I look at it as, a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, mm -hmm. a mindset of scarcity versus a mindset of abundance. There's a lot of people in this world, and I'm going to point the finger at attorneys because that's been my experience. They're a mindset of scarcity. I have this client, but if I introduce them to you, you could mess up my relationship mm -hmm. and then I won't have that client anymore. But I've always approached things with, a mindset of abundance, a growth mindset. I want to learn. I want to grow. Mm -hmm. I want to share with others. I want to lift others up along with me. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, that mindset ha has helped me maintain a positive outlook, even in the throes of COVID, where my business just got crushed. We were just pummeled. But keeping that mindset of what can I do to support those around me? How can I help uplift others. And I remember at the beginning of COVID, we hosted a DEI webinar about why it's important to support those, to support diversity and equity initiatives. And we did a seminar of why it's important to empower women. And that's been my mindset all along is that a rising tide lifts all boats. If I can uplift those around me, that's going to be beneficial for everyone. I don't have that mindset of scarcity where I want to protect what's mine. This is what I remember when I was first starting out in my career and these big firms, they used to yell at me. That's how they motivate people. They yell at you. Hamilton, how are you going to get a bigger piece of the pie? How are you going to get more of the pie? In their minds, the pie was fixed. Mm -hmm. It was never growing. It was how are you going to get more of it meant you have to take from others to get more. That's not how I was raised by my family. I wasn't raised to put others down so I could lift myself up. I was raised, when, so when I would think of that, how am I gonna get a bigger piece of the pie? I would think, I think the real question is, how do we make a bigger pie so everyone gets a bigger piece? Mm -hmm. And so these big firms I work for, they have such a fixed mindset. The pie is fixed and the way to get more is to take from others. But I always had a mindset of let's make a bigger pie so we can all get more. And in July of 2008, that's when I finally started to get to work on that aspect of that mindset of abundance, that growth mindset. And I think which, when you did that event and when you invited other real estate agents and brokers and all of those people to your event, I was even thinking about it that way. And I think you may have even told me, I forgot the exact terminology you used, but it's actually, it's not competition. There was a different word for it. I think I forgot the, the terminology. Maybe you used it. Oh, shoot. To me, there's always opportunity if we look hard enough and if we have the right relationships, I think more opportunities will present themselves than not. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I'm a firm believer 
in a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, and so the, the purpose of hosting those events, the purpose of bringing these people together, and everyone's always asking, well, how much is it to come? It's nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm either going to pay for it. I'll, a lot of times I'll get a sponsor that will pay for it, but it's nothing to come, just your time, which is valuable. Mm -hmm. These business owners and these entrepreneurs, as you mentioned earlier, time is all we have. Mm -hmm. And so for them to take their time to, to participate in these events, my hope for what they get out of it is they meet amazing people like you and the other folks that are on the boat and collaborate together about ways they can support the growth of each other's businesses. Mm -hmm. That's what I hope comes out of these events. And I love hearing afterwards, hey, Bill, I met Sam and you know we're going to hire his firm to, to work with us. That's exactly what I want to hear. That's why I'm trying to bring these amazing people that I'm meeting along the way, these amazing people on my network, to bring them together and to share their amazingness with each other for the group, the greater good, for the benefit of all those in attendance. And, and it's so definitely, that's the purpose of those events. And it definitely lifts your reputation, right? As Bill the Connector, everybody knows Bill, right? Because Bill is the guy that put it all together. Oh, yeah, I met you at the Bill's event, which goes back to what you said. For 14 years, you've been trying to build the, be the face of the brand, build a reputation. Is really doing a great job in helping you build that an incredible reputation in the marketplace. That's definitely, that's true. So let's talk a little bit about how has your approach on marketing and sales evolved over the years that you've been running your company? Yeah. I mean, that's such a phenomenal question and it goes deep. I mean, early in my career working for the bigger firms, their method of building your client base is cold calling. Mm -hmm. And I was a fine cold caller, but the problem with cold calling is every day you start at zero, mm -hmm. you have nothing. And if you get a meeting, rest assured, they're meeting with all the other real estate firms as well. And then it's a crapshoot on who actually gets hired. But to them, it's a numbers game. You make 100 calls, you get three meetings. And for every 10 meetings, you know, you're going to get hired on, on, on one opportunity. But when you're building relationships with people, each relationship builds off the previous one. So if you've got one and you make another, you now have two. You make another, you got three. You make another, you got four. And next thing you know, you've got a thousand. You got a thousand relationships with business owners that all want to support you. And then you become a snowball rolling downhill. You're going to grow. And so the way that my marketing efforts changed, the reason why I felt I really needed to go off on my own these big firms, any big firm, not just real estate firms, but any big firm, they are concerned with shareholder returns. Mm -hmm. It's numbers for them. They've got it. And I look, I'm not a not for profit. I'm trying to make money as well, but I'm playing a long game. I'm not playing a quarterly earnings game. I'm playing a game where over time, I would like to bring success to my family and any of the team members that work with me so we can support our families over the long term. And so it went from cold calling and being very impersonal and very transactional, right? I get it. We, we are compensated transactionally. When our client signs a lease or buys a building or sells a building, that's when we get paid. But I wanted to essentially transform from a transactional relationship to a relationship. Mm -hmm just a relationship where I'm 
doing what I can to support the growth of other people's businesses. So my focus went away from, here's what I can do for you. Let me talk about your real estate. How much space do you have? When's your lease expiring? You got to hire me because I'm the best broker out there. It switched from that to tell me about your business. Mm -hmm. What are some of the challenges you're facing in your business? Oh, you're having trouble bringing in top talent. Let me introduce you to the recruiter that I use. It's brought in amazing talent for me or your banker's not giving you the line of credit that you need for your business to grow. Let me introduce you to a banker that is very interested in giving you that line of credit mm -hmm. or your attorney's charging you too much and they're not calling you back in a timely manner. Let me introduce you to an attorney who's going to call you back in a timely manner and not charge you so much, but just things like that. Right? I removed the focus from real estate mm -hmm. and added the focus on, I want to be a resource that's there to support the growth of your business in any way that I can. And uh, it was really counterintuitive that when I stopped talking about real estate, that's when my real estate practice started to grow. You know, I, I remember mm -hmm. pre-tenant advisory group, if I would run into someone that I knew, I could always see it in their eyes. They were not happy to see me because they thought I was going to start selling them, right? Trying to be the salesman. Hey, when is your lease coming up? Oh yeah, we got to get together to talk about your real estate. And now... And it's something I'm very proud of. And it's something I love it, especially when my children see this. People are happy to see me in general, not everybody, but in general, people see me, they run up to me, Bill, it's so good to see you. That introduction you gave me to so-and-so, they're now a client. Thank you so much for that. I owe you dinner. I want to take, I mean, it's so good to see you. It's like people, it's a whole different approach now where People are happy to see me because I've probably either tried to have done or have done something that was beneficial to their business. And usually it has nothing to do with real estate, but those same people who I've supported other areas in their business, when real estate comes up more often than not, they reach out to me. And now I get something that I've never had working for any firm in my career. And that's people saying, Bill, I am so excited to work with you. I've wanted to work with you for so long. I've wanted to give back to you. And now I finally have a chance to give back to you by working with you. Never in a million years did I experience that working for these big firms when I was just hounding people and chasing them down and trying to talk real estate, but switching the focus to, and I think a good example is my newsletters. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the newsletter out of the five or six different sections, there'll be one section about, maybe a property we're listing or a project we're working on. But then there'll be four or five sections on the resume of the month, right? Well, I'll talk to executives in transition and try to support them in finding their next role. So we'll feature their resume or the featured not-for-profit of the month and we'll feature a not-for-profit in the community or the featured business. We'll pick one of my clients or prospects and put them in the newsletter. Or maybe I'm interviewed on a podcast like this, and we'll throw that out there. But this isn't about real estate. This is about entrepreneurship and, and building a business and leadership. And so I think that's been a big change. And one of the things I've learned of is 
when C.B. Richard Ellis or Jones Lang LaSalle sends something out, they usually get about a 1% open rate, sometimes less, maybe slightly more. We send our newsletters out, we get a 20% open rate, which is insane, but they, it's because people know I'm not going to be trying to sell them. I'm not trying to push my product or service on them. I'm trying to support the growth of their business. And I'm trying to support others in transition. And I'm just trying to uplift our community, make Chicago a better place for all those that are here. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you just highlighted, which I don't know if you've heard of HubSpot, which is a marketing automation platform, they taught one of the things, a concept that they teach is stop selling and start helping. And I think if all salespeople actually put on this helping mentality and figure out how can I be more valuable to this person and provide value and support. And when it's time, they will remember the help you provided and they will naturally want to do business with somebody who's been helpful as opposed to somebody who's just trying to get in, get something out of their wallet. Right. And I think you, you went back to the whole concept of, Hey, let me connect you with this attorney. Let me connect you with the CPA. I think if you think about the real estate life cycle of an, a, a prospect for you, maybe every three years or five years, sometimes even every 10 years, depending on how long their contract is, you probably may do business with them twice. But if you made helpful introduction, they might give you introduction to people that you can probably do business with, even when their contract, their lease is probably not even brought up for years and down the road. So you hit that, the nail on the head, Sam. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, cold, like I said, with cold calling, you're reaching out to one person at a time who doesn't know you, doesn't trust you, and doesn't care for you. But when you can support an individual, you can support an entrepreneur in the growth of their business, now all of a sudden you've built a bond. You've helped an executive in transition find a new role. You got a bond with that person for life. And that's when they become willing to support you back. And that oftentimes, like you said, a real estate transaction might only be once every five, seven, or 10 years. But when they're willing to support you by opening their network to you. Now all of a sudden that one relationship might turn into five relationships. And if each of those five can turn into five more, that's called scalability. That's called a, building a sustainable business where you're that snowball rolling downhill that's gonna grow regardless. As long as you don't, like my father used to say, as long as you don't make a huge mistake, you don't run into a house and splatter and all over the place, that's when things start getting a lot easier. When you have people that are willing to open their networks back to you. And that's where I've found the greatest success. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.